0: You know, I think ruts rank right up there with sand, maybe even worse, especially if they're muddy and ripped up by other traffic. Well, today on our exclusive rider skills, we have Clinton Smout, who has some super secret ways to make it easy to learn the skills that you're going to need to ride ruts. Now, because these are so super secret, we've had to record this in reverse. So you're going to have to play this episode backwards. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. we like the wits.
1: I'm
0: Sam Mannequin. Ted Simon. Austin Simon Pabey. Brian Jocelyn, Jocelyn Snow. Charlie
1: Borman. Simon Jeremy. Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson.
0: Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth
1: Liz Jansen, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.
0: It's wind pressure that powers the Motobreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. Motobreeze.com And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear, greenchiliadv.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Tech filters, cyclepump.com. Ruts are those grooves in the road that you find, or anywhere really, that um, basically has a track in the middle that's depressed, that's lower than everything else, and two ridges, usually one on either side. Now they can be found anywhere, dirt roads, construction sites, driveways, campgrounds, and of course, on trails for sure. And let's face it, when they are deep or wet or both, they can well, sort of bring the heart up into the mouth. But today we've got Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures, who has some super secret ways to learn the skills you need to ride these ruts without having to actually ride a rut. If that sounds a bit twisted, well, you're just going to have to trust me and hear what Clinton has to say in this uh, rider skills segment. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Let's start off with, um, I want to ask uh, your most embarrassing moment with dealing with ruts. Absolutely. Oh, I've got lots of them. Uh, most
1: recent, it was very, very wet August, last August, when we finally were able to open. So ATVs and small trucks going through a wide trail had dug some pretty nasty ruts. So I thought, perfect. That's part of our level two, two-day curriculum is how to stay out of ruts. And if you happen to get in them, how to transfer get from one end to the other safely and properly so we always talk about it uh, the secret of doing it and then demonstrate it and i had a co-instructor who wanted to demonstrate it but they were on a factory lowered bike and i was a little nervous that they might have got hung up so i thought no no i'll do it on my (laughs) hp2 and boy was it hilarious What I didn't notice in the six inches of water in the deepest rut was a monster root that I guess from a tree by the side and you couldn't see it under the water. I wasn't really going fast because we tell people ride at the speed you want to crash at and always let your friend go first. So I went first. I hit this root which literally stopped the bike, and it was like a trebuchet, Jim. I just went over the handlebars, headfirst into the mud and the water. This is a big route. Oh, very big. Uh, (laughs) It was just below the surface of the water, so six-inch route, but it was enough to impede the forward momentum. And then I thought, well, that's embarrassing, but I stood up and I thought, well, I'll try humor. So I asked, is there any questions? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, people were a little hesitant, but we decided um, to use it as a teaching experience. So I said, you know, if it's somewhere you haven't been, maybe grab a stick or your waterproof boots, walk through the rut to see if there is any big rocks or roots or drop off potholes that'll mess you up when you go through it for the first time. And there was no damage A bruised ego and extremely muddy. But other than that, it was pretty funny.
0: I'm surprised you didn't get hurt with that one. Yeah,
1: right over the bars. (laughs) But luckily, I didn't have a bike with uh, fairing on it because the HP2 has got this little tiny thing. It basically keeps the bugs off the instruments, but does nothing to protect you. (laughs) And uh, so I didn't damage or take the windshield with me because there wasn't one.
0: I, I guess there's a certain amount of risk, isn't there, with, with the way you teach? Because you, you take people out into the real world, and, and just because the real world is dynamic, as, as you just described there, there's a real risk there. Yeah,
1: there is, uh, especially level two. It's a little more advanced, lots deeper hills, bigger logs, stuff like that. How many so levels just are there? To, uh, well, there's probably three. We just teach level one and two. Uh, some people have asked for three But that's pretty well GS challenge competition. It's Mm -hmm. hard stuff. And a lot of people, well, let me generalize and say men, will think they're ready for level three or even level two. Meanwhile, they've got the same gas in the bike that they had last fall when they (laughs) took level one. Mm -hmm. So you really have to practice a lot of these basic skills to develop any kind
0: of prowess at it. That's an interesting question. So level one, level two, how do you know what, what like, I know we talked about this a long time ago, but on the show at some point, but how do you know what level you are? Because let me just say this first, Clinton, because it was not long ago, I think I was talking with Greg Fraser and he was saying something about research that was done that shows that all humans overestimate their abilities. They, they all, it's just a human thing to do. We overestimate our abilities. So how do we, yes. how do we tell where we're at?
1: I think the proof in the pudding is on the day where we first meet people and we introduce ourselves, we encourage you just to go for a little ride around this training area the size of a football field. And there's some undulations, some little humps of soil that you have to ride over. And the staff are watching to see, does the person stand up? Are they using any kind of body English, we call it endural steering with their feet, peg weighting, or do they look really rough and nervous or grabbing the front brake on corners, things like that. And that first two-minute ride will show a lot of where the person is. But uh, I agree, most people do overestimate their abilities if they had to tell someone, but I think our female customers are more humble about it and will often say, oh, I've ridden a little bit where they really have a lot more skill than they let on. We've also met the gentleman that said, you know, I used to race in England and we thought, oh my goodness, well, he's going to be crazy fast. We're going to have to really slow him down. And Then they asked the instructor, this was on a basic motorcycle course. They asked their instructor which way first gear is. And I thought, well, give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they rode a really old British bike with right foot shift instead of left. Maybe that had something to do with it. And the instructor said, uh, no, I don't think that's the issue. (laughs) So it took a little diplomacy to get this gentleman, Malcolm, uh to come over to a novice group and the way I did it is I asked him if he could be the demonstration rider for the novice group and that way just listen to the instructor and then do you show the novices exactly what he wants and then they'll follow you and then it all worked perfectly.
0: So I'm curious though so level one what skills do you have to master to get to level or to go beyond level one so you're ready for level two for you?
1: Well, level two really is the basics of riding off-road on a big bike. Mm. Can you ride standing up and the different positions of it? Can you steer the bike by weighting the left or right peg rather than just sitting down and turning the bars? Um, It's the proper technique for going up and down hills over obstacles, hopefully not the instructor. How to brake and accelerate and turn in loose conditions, sand, mud, gravel. So it's fairly basic. And level two envisions that you wanna do a lot harder off-road with a great big bike. So much steeper hills with loose materials, bigger obstacles. Uh, Maybe you're going faster speeds off-road and you wanna be able to really fine-tune your braking skills in gravel. And you want to go in areas that have more mud, water, deeper sand, where I think the huge percentage of people that buy an adventure bike, they're not going to take a great big bike like that deep off-road. So uh, level two is, it's a rare customer for us. It's usually someone wants a progression from what they did before. Mm -hmm. which is great, but they don't actually go out there using it. And a lot of my friends who don't have adventure bikes, but ride off-road, they just don't get it.
0: They don't don't understand why you're riding the great big bike.
1: Yeah. Why'd you buy a transport truck to commute to work in? (laughs) They just don't get it. But for me, I love it because if I can travel with it without a truck or trailer, and then I can see a trail and try it. And if it's within my riding capabilities, I can have a
0: lot of fun on it. Mm-hmm. Explore a little. It's something to the challenge, isn't there? Like, I mean, that's why I think I like is the the fact that I feel like I'm doing something with this bike that, that that takes a lot of work to learn and to, to try and master this bike, you know, and I think that's part of my fun with it.
1: Yes. And it's just opened up touring possibilities for me that I didn't have when I rode just pavement, there's areas of the Yukon. If I wasn't comfortable on an adventure bike, I would never have seen, and it. it's one of my favorite
0: places to go. Right. Yeah. I, I I can see that. Hey, before we we go with that, I want to jump jump back to you, what you were talking about. Your level one, level two. Yes. What are the skills that you think that you should master before taking an adventure bike off road?
1: Definitely being able to handle loose terrain. I think that's what causes the most crashes, the most tip overs. Our pavement skills, as we've talked before, don't easily transfer to loose terrain. For instance, it's a little sandy and you slow down and you try to turn. So a pavement rider at slow speeds, they won't lean that far off the bike in the direction of the turn because it's not required at slow speeds. But what we get customers comfortable with is if you're turning left with a big, heavy bike in soft terrain, that tire digs in. And when you go to turn to the left, the tire, the front tire slides out to the right. And you're going to have to put your left foot down. And usually that's a dropped bike. Mm -hmm. So what we teach is hang way off the right hand side over the, the rear brake as you're turning left and that counterbalancing helps keeps the tire from sinking in.
0: So would standing up be sort of like the, um, I guess the milestone, you you know, until you're comfortable standing up, you'd want to be careful what you're doing off road. Yeah, Yeah.
1: absolutely. So that's one of the very first things we get comfortable with just on the side stand or the center stand before you even start the bike up in a level one is how do we stand up and have a tight lower body on the bike, squeezing it with your boots and knees, and a loose upper body, relaxed grip. Because it's weird and different, we tend to hang on too tight with our hands, which doesn't translate into smooth riding.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the automatic reaction for most people is, I think everybody, just to sit down when you run into trouble. What you want to do is change it around to your automatic reaction being when you get into the tough stuff, you automatically stand. That's where you're more comfortable. That's where you feel you have more control because you do.
1: Yeah, there's three basic human instincts when we're on a motorcycle and we hear in our brains, ah, it's sit down, squeeze the grips and slow down. And the best results are when we can convince the rider to try the exact opposite: stand up, give it a shot, light it up, and loose grip on the on the hands.
0: Right. Yeah, it's tough to overcome that because you you, you know I agree it's that comes automatically, doesn't it? that? Sit down, For grip sure. tight. Yeah, that's that's a that's a human reaction. Hmm. Well, we're we're talking about ruts here today. Yes. So um. Uh, Let's not get into any anything to do with details about uh, how to do it, how to ride the ruts, etc. Let's just start off with the overall concept, what we're talking about. Um, I want to talk a bit about ruts, and then we'll get into the, the rest of it, okay? Sure. Okay. So, uh, ruts. I mean, uh, let's talk about ruts. What, what kind of ruts can we find out there?
1: Well, if you're on even a soft road, gravel, and we're talking about the Yukon. Let's take the Dempster, for instance. If it rains a lot, they use a calcium chloride to keep dust down. And when mixed with water, this stuff becomes very, very sticky, but very slippery and soft. So they use that road to transport a lot of materials to the far north, to Euclid or Tuktoyaktuk. So imagine the ruts, a very heavy loaded transport truck would leave in muddy, soft gravel. You know, it's, it's wider than our tires, but they're quite deep. And if the ground is slippery and soft, in addition to the rut, it's pretty treacherous for a bike if you're traveling at too high a speed because you can't react fast enough. That's why I always ride behind somebody else. You can see them slow down and <laughs> feet are flopping around off the pegs. Hello, slow down.
0: You know, something's coming up. So I mean, so that's vehicle ruts. That, I mean, also, um, you mentioned the, the route that you went into, ATV ruts, like quad ruts. there's um, Those type of ruts. There's
1: also erosion ruts. If there's any kind of an incline, when use of that soil or ground has removed grass and trees and things like that, when heavy rains come, water will take the shortest course down a hill and it will gut and cut deep erosion ruts in. And over time, they can be really big. But if it's rained really hard, some of the hills we use at our school for training, I have to get the tractor and drag the sand back up the hill because sand will usually accumulate at the bottom of the hill when the ground levels out.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, with the sand hill, it'll run straight down. But the other hill you were talking about there, when you get that erosion going down the hill, that one of the terrible things about that is, is it doesn't follow a line. Like it's, it's not if it's not eroding from a, a motorcycle track going up. If it's just a natural erosion, it can sort of zip all over the place and, and leave it well does. things like roots and things like that in there.
1: Yeah, because the the water sometimes is heavy enough to remove the loose material but the rocks and the roots stay there they're yeah. exposed now and they used to be covered up so you might be hauling up a hill and then you hit those things that'll slow you down
0: yeah that will <laughs> what other kind of ruts
1: uh, erosion made by other vehicles believe it or not animals uh we, there is a few people that ride horses in the trails that we use for our novice riders. And a horse is putting a lot of pounds per square inch on each hoof when it places it on the ground. So usually on hills, they're digging in more to power up the hill. So again, that causes ruts. They're strange because they're not really like a tire, but it chops up a hill. Mm. And that can be... Disconcerting to the rider as well. So sometimes animal ruts can have problems. Uh, some riders use either create bike ruts or roost ruts. They come out of a corner and light it up and dig a huge rut. So envision watching the supercross, you know, the first few laps, it's like pavement, but you get a powerful 450 or even a 250 digging into
0: the berm of a corner it uses it leaves really big ruts Mm -hmm. you you know another type of rut i'm thinking of or at least where the bike has similar um reactions to it is maybe a grate on a bridge when you go across yes you know that that has that that squirmy feeling the other one was i was thinking is the edge of the pavement that's a spot where like almost every rider has to deal with that at some point
1: yes i agree um a lot of upper state New York bridges, rural New York, are those uh, metal-graded bridges. You can see right through them to the river you're crossing over. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels like you have a flat tire. So um, we've always said if there's usually a sign warning motorcyclists of that, thank goodness, and drop your speed down, drop a gear down. Hopefully you're not holding up traffic too much. Put your four-ways on if you need to. And take that a lot slower than you would on normal blacktop. And the trick is loose grip and point the headlight where you want to go. Because the front tire, it almost feels like loose gravel and sand. It'll wobble left and right, but it'll go across if you give it its head. Let it wobble a little bit.
0: And the other spot is, um, you see that with with asphalt, when when they've got the grooves in it, and they'll often have that sign there, motorcycles use caution, that sort of thing. Same sort of thing, except it doesn't go in a straight line, that often sort of has a bit of an S to it.
1: Yes, and that's a, you know, you drop off, there's usually a cut of a few inches where you drop off. So, again, slow down, loose grip. Um, I've stood up going over that, because it just feels better for me. Um, maybe because I've ridden off-road a lot, but it's just less nerving, nerve wracking for me standing up.
0: Mm-hmm. And and what we're going to talk about today will probably help in those situations. Like once you get comfortable yes. dealing with ruts, what what is the big deal? Or like why does a rut throw you off so much?
1: Well, if you're if you fall into it and just both tires stay in the rut and you slow down and just ride through it and you come out of it, that's fine. You know. Your air intake will gulp and your heart's in your throat, but it isn't dangerous unless it's really deep and you go over the handlebars when you hit something. But what throws a rider down on the ground is if you get cross-rutted, the front tire goes in, the rear tire goes in, and then the rider thinks, you know what, I got to get out of this, and they try to turn left or right. Right. And when the front tire, if you do get it up onto the higher ground, the level ground out of the rut, the rear tire often won't. And that can cross rut, which will throw the bike down on the ground
0: with you over the bars. Yeah, you're talking with two parallel ruts, like you know, from a vehicle, four-wheel drive yes. vehicle going through or something. Yeah. Or
1: sometimes even um, just one tire stays in the rut while you're trying to get out. That will mess you
0: up. Mm-hmm. But what's the deal with the rut itself? Why is it so difficult to ride, even in a rut? Like even even in a straight line, why does everyone have so much trouble with it? I
1: think because we stare at it, you fixate at it, rather than looking where you want to go. And people don't know how to, that's something we'll d- dwell on, is how to control where their bike goes, especially in loose terrain. And ruts are always in... Well, they could be unhard packed once ground dries out. That's why in an environmental friendly sense, we don't go into the forest in the spring when it's wet. Because even a motorcycle tire will create a lot of ruts. ATVs are worse because they're heavier and wider tires. But then once the moisture has gone, those ruts stay there the whole season and kind of wreck the trail for the other people. So we like to wait till it's dusty and then at least the top couple inches of the soil is dry and it's not as perceptible, or it won't become
0: as rutted. So if we come up to ruts, let, let's let's talk about the actual riding of ruts now. Um, I guess the first thing to do is we're assessing it, I guess, assessing the rut.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, otherwise we might
0: ride in and hit a root.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, definitely slow down. We often stop. If it's a new area, and then get off the bike and check it out. Um, I like CD waterproof boots because I can go up as. The, the one problem with any boot is the big hole at the top. But hopefully, if the if it's not if the water's much deeper than my boot, I'm not taking my bike in there anyway because mm-hmm. I've got a. You might get a little bow wave coming back at you, which'll get in the air box. It's just not worth it. I'd do it if it, I was on a 250, but not a big adventure bike. I'm not into the deep water crossings, but ruts. Um, I don't think it's a good idea to see what they're like while you're on your bike riding through it. Much more prudent to take a little couple of minutes extra time and check it out if it's somewhere you haven't been
0: before. Do you have a general sort of rule of thumb when you're riding an adventure bike for ruts? I mean, uh, one of those things have stay out of them unless you absolutely have to go in. That's that sort of thought process?
1: Well, I go in for practice. And again, it's part of the challenge. But we say to customers, you know, there's no cameras on. You're not doing a GS challenge. So the best route through, maybe off to the far left or right, go around it. But if the trail is say it's bordered on the left and right by heavy forest and the whole width of the trail is full of deep ruts, then you might not have an option of bypassing it. You've got to go through it. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes if it's a two track rut created by, you know, a Jeep or, or, an ATV, the crown of the trail or the middle may be the highest point point. And if you can carefully go through there with good 50 50 tires at least, then there's less chance of you sliding off that little elevated crown into one of the ruts. Mm. That's another option.
0: Particularly <clears throat> when it gets into anything wet and muddy. And I guess it depends on where you where you are, where you live, where you're riding. You know, if you're, if you're riding in a dry environment, you're going to be looking probably more at, at, at dry ruts. And if you're in a spot like you, for instance, or, or me, uh, we have a lot more wet areas around. We'll probably de- end up dealing with a lot of mud ruts, which sort of add a whole new level there. But I'd like that you mentioned tires there because I guess that's probably a consideration right at the start, isn't it? It really is. Um, I heard our office
1: manager ask someone today some questions when they were trying to sign up for a two-day adventure bike course was their riding experience and what tires they had. Did they have crash guards? And we tell folks, you know, it is an expense to go out and get um, 50-50 tires. You're looking at least $500 with installation and balance, maybe more, depending on the tire you get. Mm -hmm. And if you're not riding, you know, quite a bit of off-road, it's a big expense. But if you, we do tell people you can take the two-day adventure bike course with stock tires that come on your adventure bike, but we can promise you it's going to be more exciting.
0: (laughs) You're going to spend a lot more time picking that bike up, trying to pick it up. Or the
1: instructors are going to say, you know what, Joe, with your tires, we don't recommend you try. This is clay. This is, you know, four inches of water on top of clay. And your predominantly street-based tire, it's an 80% pavement, 20%, which is often what comes with a stock adventure bike. Mm -hmm. Those grooves are going to fill up really easily with the mud and the clay. So you basically will have a slick going through there. And that's really quite challenging. It, it, the degree of difficulty goes up tenfold if you don't have good, good rubber under you.
0: So back to, um, back to the rut, we were checking out the rut. So you're saying assess it. So do you, Are you actually saying like, you know, put the bike on the stand, which may be difficult, and walk the ruts first every time you come to ruts? Yeah, not every time, but definitely we get people
1: in the habit of doing that because they've never seen them before. We have, we use the same areas to train all the time. And I actually, on my way to work, if I have time in the morning, I take the trails from my house to our training location. I use as much off-road as possible. And specifically what I'm going to use that day so I can see if there's any trees down, you know, if it's rained, how bad is the ruts and how Mm -hmm. bad are the mud holes. So, but they've never seen it and we want them to get in the habit Of actually stopping, finding a rock or a stick if they don't have a a big side stand extender on the foot and uh, assessing it. Grab a stick, check how deep the puddle is, walk through, which is why we recommend enduro boots that have a tread, not like a, a street boot or a motocross boot often doesn't have treads on it.
0: Now, um, you, you mentioned checking depth. How do we know if um, if it's too deep for our bike?
1: Well, you should know where your air box is, that's for sure, and where the air intake is. Right, and you're, you're talking water level there. Yes, yeah. exactly, because you don't want to water out your bike. I think we've discussed this before, yeah. how that's going to ruin your day, <laughs> and it's really not good for the engine. Even changing the oil. The sand that's in the water that goes in goes everywhere. Oh, yeah. So the, the real perfectionist will tear the motor down after watering it out.
0: But as far as depth of the rut goes for our bike, like obviously if you get into too deep of a rut, your bike's going to start to hit the sides.
1: Yeah, exactly. The, the GS Boxers, uh, you'll have a very unique shaped rut because <laughs> the heads will take the top couple inches of the soil off. And uh, you don't want to frame out. That's why we always recommend you have a pretty good skid plate. But if your skid plate jams into the rut, it doesn't matter what tire you have on, um, you're stuck. So that's something we should address is you're stuck in a rut. How do you get it out of there and maintain the, uh, thickness of the clutch plates that you have right? and how do you get home?
0: Let's come back to that at the end there. Okay. So, um, so we assess the route to make sure that this is something that we think we can handle. Hey, worst, worst case scenario. And you know, you don't make it and you end up flopping over. What's your method for, for getting the bike any further at that point? Like, what do you tell people?
1: Well, picking up a bike because you've fallen over in the mud your feet are also on mud, so picking up a bike is a lot harder if you're under, under the bike and you is muddy. But there, that's why we always recommend ride with a friend. Um, going out there by yourself on a big he- heavy bike that's hard to pick up on dry ground is going to be quite hard to pick up on muddy ground. So you've got to be careful that way. Um, I take it really slow and easy when I'm out in the bush by myself, which I often am coming from work or leaving. So be careful.
0: So we're, we we got to make sure there's enough clearance there for our, our foot pegs. Make sure it doesn't go too deep. We keep all this in mind. Every bike's going to be different. I was going to say with your, with your, your GS, uh, with the the cylinder head sticking out the side, a pair of skis on those heads would be perfect yes. for that sort of thing. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You could carry those.
1: You might have invented a great new product, Jim.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you want to make sure your bike will actually fit through the rut. Otherwise, it's going to be jammed in there. Um, if you found yourself jammed into a rut, now I know we haven't talked riding skills at all here getting in, but if you find yourself jammed into that rut, um, what are do you doing? Flopping it on the side to get it out? Yeah, if it's really stuck. Uh, sometimes it's, it's slowing
1: down. You can feel it grinding up. Um, I'll light it up and I'll bounce it a little bit on the suspension, standing up. And if I light it up, Whenever you accelerate on a motorcycle, it comes up on the suspension. That's pulling the skid plate up at least an inch, inch and a half. That might be all you need to get out, to get, keep going. Mm. So don't stop with the first little wheel spin or the first bit of
0: grounding out. Lighter up, you might dig it through. We're going to take just a two minute break. I've got a couple of things to tell you about, but when we come back, we're going to get right into it with um, well, some of those secrets we talked about earlier. Stay with us. Revzilla is presenting the new get on ADV fest this July 15 to 18 in the black Hills of South Dakota. This is set to be a huge event. Now you can ride your adventure motorcycle along routes that they've got uh, trails. You can camp there. You can watch presentations. There's going to be so much going on. You'll, um, You'll be able to try out some of the top brands as well. BMW, Kawasaki, even Harley-Davidson is going to be there with their new Pan America. All for you to try out. Just ride around there and, and check things out. BMW is going to be presenting the BMW Taste of GS Trophy, uh, where you get to ride the uh, the GS or sort of a challenge uh, GS Challenge course. And you get tips as well from pros from the BMW Performance Center. There's going to be a ton of vendors showcasing products, um, selling gear. They have certified mechanics there to install gear um, and upgrade your motorcycle. I mean, it sounds like there's just going to be tons this should be a really great event you can get your tickets i'm going to tell you how in a second but first i'm going to tell you where it is the get on adv fest is happening at the buffalo chip campgrounds in buffalo chip it's all happening july 15th to 18th this year 2021 so to get your tickets go to this website it's revzilla.com forward slash adv hyphen fest and by the way the revzilla crew is going to be there as well they're going to be set up and you can get stuff from revzilla There's so much more I can't even go into here. Drop by the website. Have a look. Revzilla.com forward slash ADV fest. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard about it here on Adventure Rider Radio. By the way, the link is also on our website. You know, we all spend a lot of time thinking about what bags or what panniers we want for our motorcycle. Now, if you're looking at bags have a look at Giant Loop. Giant Loop's motto is go light, go far, go fast. And, and here's what's really unique about Giant Loop is their approach of the of their designs and what they make. They make purpose-built products designed to enhance your riding experience. They eliminate the extra buckles and straps, and which those extra buckles and straps often, they just get in the way. They just end up flopping around. So they design lightweight products that are purposeful, reliable, and above all, extremely tough. Designed for anybody who rides a dual sport, even a dirt bike, riding up to an adventure bike. They've got a, a modular luggage system that, that can fit on any motorcycle and you don't need a rack either. That, that's one important thing. If your, your bike doesn't have a rack, maybe it, does, it can't even take a rack. You can still... Get Giant Loop products to fit on your bike and they stay put. Anyway, their website is GiantLoopMoto.com and you can buy their gear at any dealer that sells quality gear or through Giant Loop themselves. GiantLoopMoto.com is their website and be sure to throw in there you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Have you ever noticed that when you drop your bike, the peg folds up and then when you pick it up, it's often filled with mud and dirt? Now think about that. That peg just took a good amount of the abuse of dropping your motorcycle. And that's just one fall. That's why IMS products put so much into making super tough, super strong foot pegs. They're all made with certified 17-4 stainless steel. It's cast. And then they use a certified heat treating, which is a homogenizing and annealing process. But that's only after all the crucial work has been done. That's just actually building the peg. It's the research and development that went into that that makes it what it is on top of the, the super tough material. IMS has been designing products for motorcycles since 1976. Do the math. That's a long time. And all of those years of learning goes into what they make, including their foot pegs, these adventure motorcycle foot pegs I'm talking about. They've got a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs. No matter your ride style, they've got a peg that will fit your style, whether it's a a large ADV1 and ADV2 peg, right on down to their smaller pegs with more aggressive teeth on them. And it's not about bling on your bike. I mean, they do look great. There's no doubt. Some of them are even polished, but they work far better, I think, than they look. So get the ultimate connection between you and your motorcycle. It gives you the leverage and the, and the control that you need to really get the most from your riding skills. And when you do it, you have the confidence of a super tough, well-designed foot peg, designed specifically for adventure riding. And get this, they're warrantied for life. you got to be really confident in a product that you're going to put out there where people are going to beat it to warranty it for life. And on top of that, they're made in the USA. IMSproducts.com is a website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there. You heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Imsproducts.com. Okay, so let, let's back up before before the ride. Let's talk yeah. about riding position. Let's talk about preparing ourselves as a rider. So um, where do we start? Riding position? Yes. Um,
1: if we're talking about how to train for ruts, you don't even need a rut. I would get a piece of rope, uh, bright yellow or white or whatever, 20 feet long, or a piece of wood. Although the, the cost of wood, yeah, you may want to stick with the rope, <laughs> but, uh, we, I buy it's molding for the bottom of a wall. And instead of wood, I buy this white plastic molding in eight-foot lengths. And we put four of those down so weather doesn't bother it because it's plastic. When riders ride on top of it, it doesn't bother it. But it's white, very bright. And the whole idea is we might set up um, parallel logs, we call it, in GS language. And you can use real logs... But initially, level one, you're starting out adventure riding. You want to pretend there's a rut between two parallel pieces of wood or rope. And start with like eight inches and see if you can ride on the grass or gravel that's between the ropes. And there's secrets and tips that will help you do that. First of all, your eyes are a huge impact. Most people stare down at the rope. And guess where you go? You hit the rope or the wood. So your eyes have to be up and looking at the end of where you want to end up. So we always put a big orange pylon at the end of this training section. And that's where you should be looking. And an instructor will stand up there and perhaps voice some coaching tips like eyes up. Next, if you go really, really slow, it's harder to go in a straight line. So there's a balance of how much momentum. It's easier to go through there fast, but you're not going to be able to go through when it's muddy in third gear. So maybe 10 miles an hour is an optimal range, 15 kilometers an hour, whatever. So we've got eyes. Momentum is important. The other thing is, Uh, we highly recommend you're standing up. That way, when you kind of sense your front wheel is gravitating to the right and you're going to hit that weight or the rope or whatever on the right, you should simply lean some body weight into your left foot and that steers the motorcycle back. And we've already practiced before we start ruts peg steering, we call it, peg weighting, so you can move your motorcycle's front wheel around without handlebar input, simply by changing the weight into your boot. So armed with eyes up, momentum and peg steering, we practice over and over again, riding through the rut.
0: Now, toes pointed in also, I guess, in the rut, right? So we don't catch the edge.
1: Yes. And actually their initial
0: practice, there's
1: no rut. It's level ground. It's just, we've created, we want to practice the ability to put the front tire where the customer wants it.
0: Right. So really what you're doing is you're doing a bit of a balance thing there, aren't you? Balancing control. Um, You're keeping the bike going in a straight line while standing on your foot pegs.
1: Exactly. And the hardest thing is eyes. People will look at the left side or the right side and the bike steers that way.
0: Mm -hmm. now the riding position we're we're standing up as as you said while we're standing we can easily shift our weight around and that's obviously one of the the big advantages of standing is that we if we need to we can shift our weight back to get some traction Uh, we can shift our our weight forward if we want to get some traction on on the front wheel etc what is the what is the position that you start out in a standing but in a what we call tiger position
1: so you're crouched a little a little bent at the knee That way, your body suspension, leg suspension, uh, because the rut's not going to be smooth like our practice area. It's going to go up and down and have rocks in there and roots, who knows, potholes. So you don't want to be sitting down. You're going to take it in the spine. But the biggest benefit of standing is peg steering. It just doesn't work as efficiently when you're sitting down.
0: Okay. Now, what about other controls? What about throttle clutch? Yeah, I
1: always recommend people have two fingers over the clutch, especially for ruts. If it is slippery, you go from mud to clay and the amount of throttle you had on that was fine in the mud, when you hit clay, all of a sudden it's wheel spin. And often the motorcycle now is pointing into the trees to the left or the right. And you cannot recover fast enough. Just by chopping the throttle, a much faster, more efficient reaction to retain control or regain control, slip the clutch back in. Take mm-hmm. the power away from that spinning out of control back wheel, and it will straighten up and follow the front
0: wheel. And, and, but if you take the throttle off quickly, that's like putting the rear brake on as well.
1: Yeah. And then your front end dives and that may cause... A lack of traction. So, th- we love slipping the clutch in a little. You're not riding the clutch and burning it out, you're just adjusting the power.
0: So, I'm thinking like a good example of this is when you come to ruts and you think you can ride the center, which, as you said, is almost always seems to be a bit dome shaped. Yes. It's there where you have to really be on your clutch. So if it starts, if the rear tire starts to screw sideways on you down into one of those ruts, you want to notice that immediately and pull the clutch in, right? That's what you're talking about. Absolutely, Recover control. Right. And if I was to let off my gas there, as we said, that'd be like putting the brakes on, but that'd be basically the same thing as as letting the engine drive the wheel and screw it into the slot. Yeah. That's why the clutch is so
1: integral to everything we do on big bikes off-road and little bikes, but. especially important for adventure riders to slip the clutch, ride the clutch, whatever
0: you want to call it. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you feel that, that rear tire starts to screw sideways, if you pull that clutch in, like you said, it just sort of snaps back in line and and you have a chance. It'll follow the front. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, So we've got the the tiger position as we're going into the rut. How do we keep it? I mean, maybe this, you're going to say, this is just basically back to that training exercise where you have the two plastic, corner rounds down on the ground, but I mean, how do we keep it upright and going in the right direction? It's
1: just practice and it's going to vary so much with the terrain. If it's wet, if it's a dry rut, it's way easier than if it's wet. So there's so many variables, but without the basic grounding and the basic practice skilled on flat ground before you go into any ruts, Uh, it's going to make it way more challenging.
0: When we enter the rut, do we have to plan to go all the way through or or do you stop partway or or is there a difference?
1: Yeah, the goal is to go the whole way through because stopping is often problematic for traction, especially if you're on a hill. You don't want to stop on, and there's usually ruts on hills if it's a wet area, soft soil because of either erosion or people with tires and wheels that have gone before you. So stopping really isn't a good option. But, um, you know, we have one section where it's got to be a few hundred yards of continuous ruts because the ground is so soft and it's heavily used by off-road uh, four-wheel vehicles, trucks and things. So it's a, one of our favorite pl- places to practice and train ruts, but that's kind of stage three of rut practice. We do the wood first or ropes, then little ruts, and then we get them out in the wet mud, big ruts.
0: Mm. You mentioned eyes up and, and you're just saying practice. A lot of this staying in the ruts is, I mean, we always talk about confidence with this sort of thing too, but confidence has to be backed up with some skill right? Yes. So, so you're, you're saying eyes up and practice your bike going in that straight line, because that's really what you're stuck doing, isn't it? It's, it's when you deviate Absolutely. from that line or what, no matter, I I mean, I guess even if the, it's not necessarily a straight line, if the, if the rut curves, but it's when you try to deviate from that rut, that's where you get into trouble because then the bike just goes down. Yeah. When the wheels get crossed up,
1: one is in, one isn't, that's very tough to handle. There's an advanced level two thing we do with a telephone pole is you approach it very, very slowly standing up. You put your front tire on the right-hand side of the log and the rear tire on the left. And you try riding the length of the pole. um, And basically that's Mm cross-running. And it takes quite a bit of power and throttle. And you pretty well are riding the edge of the rear tire, powering through it because it's not straight. So you can't do it too slowly because it'll throw you off. And so that's a very tough challenge. That's usually part of a GS challenge.
0: And what do you learn from that? What what skill are you really learning there?
1: Well, the the practice that it gives people is when they do get cross-rutted, they're able to carry on, but it does take a little bit of throttle and don't give up. You've got to, Go for it. And if you use too little throttle, it grabs and jumps up onto the log
0: and throws you onto the ground. Mm. And you're, you're working all those skills, aren't you? You've got balance yeah. in there. You're working your clutch possibly. Um, yes. And certainly um, the confidence.
1: Yeah, that's it's probably one of the most intimidating lessons in level two is that great big log.
0: Mm. And I guess the the less uh, tread you have on your rear tire, the better off you are for this exercise. Yeah, street tires are easy. Yeah, (laughs) They're awesome to do. (laughs) (laughs) That's where the guy that comes in with the street tires has definitely got one up on everybody else. He's shining, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's say we get into a rut that takes us to a a place that we can't go. We're going to have to get out of this rut. What's our options for getting out of the rut when it takes us off into an area? Maybe it goes into the water or something. Exactly.
1: Um, many times in the past I've stopped, I try the side stand and if I can get it down on the elevated side of the ground, higher than the rut, um, then I'll go to the front of the bike and try to lift the front wheel up and out of the rut and put it on dry ground or level ground. And then I'll walk the bike rather than sit on it. I'll get my weight off the suspension and with a shot of clutch and throttle standing beside it in first gear with a kickstand up, of course, I try to get the bike where I want it to go. So I might have to cross a couple of ruts if it's a two-track system where four-wheeled vehicles have left them and get to the edge so I can go in the direction I want to. Because with a 250, you could just put your feet down you know, pop a wheelie and drop the front wheel out of the rut. Uh, try that with a 1250. It's a little harder.
0: <laughs> Do you ever, I'm just thinking of you, lifting the front wheel and that's an awful lot to lift. Do you ever try and dig a, a trench and, and make a bit of a, ra- a ramp coming up? Yeah, well, uh, we,
1: talked, we talked briefly about putting the bike down on the ground. Uh, I was stuck in the Yukon. We got to the sign that says, Uh, welcome to the Arctic Circle. So it's a, you got to stop and have that photo. So I took everybody in the group's portrait with their bike by the big sign. And then they all took off to go back to where we were staying, you know, an hour south of this sign. And I realized the uh, Yahoos left me there. Nobody took my picture. (laughs) So I'm by myself and I thought, well, I got a picture last year. I'd rather have a picture of my old BMW BMW off the road in the tundra because the sun was setting a little. So I went up on the kind of muskeggy, it looks like moss, and just at the side of the road so I could walk back and take a picture of the bike. And what I didn't know is this moss was covering huge ruts and holes. And, of course, I framed out the GSA. The skid plate was right on the ground. The back wheel was spinning, and it was fully loaded, you know, two, two big aluminum bags, my clothes in a dry bag, tank bag, tools, everything. So I had no option but to lay the bike on the ground. So now the back wheel is out of the hole. And I dragged the bike a couple of feet while it was on the ground and then tried to stand it up. But <laughs> I couldn't stand it up. It was too heavy with all the stuff on it. So I took the saddlebags off, the tank bag off. Then I could lift the bike up, and I tried riding it back to the road. I the exact same things got, same thing happened. I buried it in another big hole. So drop it on the ground, lift it up. You can imagine how tired I am now. And this time I didn't get back on. I walked beside the bike and just lit it up with the throttle and rode the clutch and got it back to the road, walked back, got my tank bag, walked back, got each saddle bag, I just got everything on, sat back on the bike, and a huge boar grizzly walked um, just over this hill, not really towards me, kind of perpendicular to where I was, and he crossed the road that led back in the direction I had to go, and... I hadn't seen a big grizzly on a Yukon trip because I usually ride at the back. By the time I get up to, they're (laughs) gone. They're long gone. (laughs) But I was completely by myself. So I had to dig the camera out of the tank bag and I clicked off a few pictures as it was walking away from me, but I didn't have a very big lens on. So when I got back to where everyone was and thanked them for leaving me there, I showed them the picture on my camera, and it wasn't very big, and it just is a huge brown butt of a bear. <laughs> so they're going, "That's not a bear; it's a bush." So I had to enlarge it so they believe my grizzly story. <laughs> yeah, but but the moral of the story is what? Um, if you are stuck and you can't get out, you're by yourself. You can't lift one of these great big bikes up out of a rut. And if you just keep spinning the rear tire, you're going to make bigger hole and wear out your clutch. Because now you're heating up that clutch by fanning it. The oil gets really, really hot and you might not get out of there. So I threw it on the ground, well, gently laid it on the ground, dragged it out of the hole, picked it up and then continued on. Mm.
0: So if you find yourself um, getting into a spot where there's a the whole bunch of ruts and um, you've got to get through, is it acceptable to sit on the seat and paddle your way across? Absolutely. Yeah. We tell people the
1: goal is to get the other side. Who cares? So absolutely. I've sat down many times, kept the clutch out as I kept the throttle on and I'll sit down and I'll paddle And if you don't have long legs, this may be one of the few times you can touch the ground flat-footed because the (laughs) bike is a few inches down into the rut. And just paddle like crazy, help push your bike through. Mm -hmm. And there's no shame in that, absolutely. Do you carry any retrieval equipment? Any block and tackle or anything like that? No, I don't. I've never done that. Uh, We have winches on ATVs when we go out ATVing, but on the bike... Uh, again, on a great big adventure bike, that's not fun for me to have to do that. I mm. know people that love it, but that's a bit too extreme for most adventure riders. What
0: do you mean to get into that I, position or carry the, the winch with you? i uh,
1: carry a winch with you oh, and I stuff see. like
0: that. I do carry a
1: toe. Uh, it's a toe strap. Um, I bought the one that was advertised on your website from, let me think of their name, Green Chili. Mm-hmm. So it's got that elasticy portion in the middle of the toe strap. So it takes up the slack. I absolutely love that. Yeah,
0: that's a nice strap.
1: Yeah. So I guess if you had friends with you, that might be a last resort. They could help kind of pull, but boy, you're going to get dirty. If it's in a muddy rut and someone's in front of you spinning the wheel, it's going to be ugly.
0: I've got a worn winch, actually, when they made them for motorcycles. We got one. Very and, cool. And just, yeah, it was really neat. And I did carry it a lot. I I did use it once. Other than that, I, I just ended up carrying it more than anything because it's a bit of an apparatus to set up, right? Yeah. Uh, but I did use it once when I was I was riding by myself. And I ended up, um, I went through this uh, this ditch, actually, that was... You know those ditches they're so sharp you look at and you think, I don't know if that's oh, gonna I keep could do that. Going going yeah, going up the other side and, and what it did is I went down and just stopped, right, in the in the yes. ditch and it was steep and I'm there by myself and I winched out. I think I could have turned it sideways and rode the ditch. There would have been another method, but I did use the winch that one time. So it, it cool. seemed kind of neat, but uh, we also have a, like a, well, green chili makes a set uh, as well. And best dress has a, has a real nice setup as well. Um, that block and tackle setup that weighs oh, amazing. I think, I think best dress is only a couple of pounds or something like that, but it's, it's quite a nice setup. And if you do get yourself into a position where you have to get the bike, I mean, it's in particular if it's fallen in, into a ravine or something like that, that you know if you've slid right. off the somebody slid off the road or something. Uh yeah, amazing to get the vehicle back out again. But as you said, that's getting pretty extreme. And, and when you're doing that kind right. of stuff, man, it's uh it's a whole new world you're into.
1: Yeah, that's hardcore. I could see using it if there was trees nearby, um, for lifting up my big heavy bike, if it's just fallen over, yeah. rather than me straining a groin muscle or something.
0: Yeah. Yep. Definitely. I mean, you you could certainly do that. It's a fair bit to hook it all up to, uh, to make it stand up. But
1: you're not going anywhere. That's true. You're definitely not (laughs) going anywhere.
0: (laughs) That's true. Hey, you, you mentioned earlier, Clint, you said something about the clutch and you, and you also mentioned some tips and tricks. So I want to get those as well, but let's talk about clutch.
1: Yeah, obviously um, it will wear out a clutch. Mostly it's heat that causes the issue. If the back tire isn't propelling you forward, it's kind of stuck in mud or sand or you're framed out, the skid plates jammed in. If you keep pouring the coal to it, throttle, and fan the clutch, it will eventually start to slip. Um, Wet plate clutches, there's a friction clutch, and then there's a part that has little raised portions on it. Often they're made out of cork or very hard material. And the two of them, when they're pressed together really hard, they become one, and that turns eventually your back wheel. When you pull your clutch in, it separates those two types of clutches, and there's multiple um, discs of each one in a wet clutch. And it separates them when you pull the clutch in to different degrees. Now, if you get your oil really hot because you're not moving, that can burn a clutch and you'll smell it. I'm sure you've smelt it from other riders or other bikes. Mm. And uh, it's a, first of all, very expensive component on our motorcycles. And some of them are very laborious to change it. For instance, older air-cooled or oil-cooled BMWs, you pretty well have to cut the motorcycle in half. So 1100, 1150, older 1200s like I have, mm-hmm. you pretty well have to take the bike in half. It's 16 hours labor, I believe. Wow. That's a dry clutch. Yes, that's the dry one. And the wet clutches, usually way faster. So the new 1250s, the clutch pack is at the front of the engine. Very simple job, couple hours to do. I've never done it, but I, I know technicians that say it's, it's a joke compared
0: to the dry clutch. Mm. Yeah, the Now there's a distinct difference between what you can do with a dry clutch compared to a wet clutch. Our wet clutches in motorcycles are much like a wet clutch in a trans, an automatic transmission where they yes. they actually have automatic transmission slipping these clutches a lot of times throughout the, the cycle of the, the gears that the transmission is going through because they can slip to a certain degree and not destroy themselves because as you mentioned, they, they have oil in there. That dry clutch you talked about, that's not near as forgiving
1: no. Um, and it can go pretty quickly. They are tough. Um, uh, it's a long story, but I ended up pulling our Subaru off the road up a sloped driveway. And the only vehicle I had to do it was a, an R1200 GS a number of years ago. And you could smell it burning a little. Is that
0: because you were slipping the clutch or is it is it actually slipping yeah, under load? I ha-
1: I had to slip it a little just to get the car moving. Right. Once I had some momentum and the clutch was fully engaged, it had a lot of power. (laughs) Those things are tractors. I was just going to say, that's
0: a real tractor.
1: Yeah. It pulled the car up, no problem, but it it worked a little hard. It was tough on the clutch to
0: but it was the only option Mm -hmm. to get it off the road. And in those off-road situations, like when we're in a rut, and in particular, if you get stopped, in particular, if you've stopped the the motorcycle and you want to get going again, or maybe you're stuck, those are the times where people get excited and, and heat up their clutch. And correct me if, if you don't think that this is how it works, but I think it's often because people aren't really in tune with their clutch to begin with. So they get into a situation yes. like that, they get themselves so worked up, they over-rev the engine and overslip the clutch.
1: Yeah, because there is... There's nuts like me in coaching that are saying, you know, you got to light it up, light it up. And they take that a little too liberally. But we tell people, and we don't mean to be facetious about it, but we say, you know, if you hear a lot of engine noise and revving, but the trees aren't going by, you're stuck. (laughs) Stop giving the gas. (laughs) You're not going anywhere. You're just digging off deeper hole and you're, you're heating up the oil that the clutch is running in or wearing out your dry clutch. It's just, just not good. So sometimes if you're stuck, you can pull the clutch in and with your feet down, put some leg motion into rocking the bike a little back and forth. So you pull back on it and then push forward with the clutch. And that rocking is essentially when your dad's car was stuck in the snow and he He asked you to go out and push on the back bumper and you rock it a little bit. Uh, Believe it or not, jumping your butt up and down on the seat, compressing the suspension can help you get unstuck a little bit, rocking the bike a little. But it comes to a point where, you know, you've tried that. It's not working. Stop. Rethink it. Maybe tip the bike over as I had to, slide it out of the hole or whatever, stopping it, and then pick it back up and continue mm-hmm. because not only is it a, a very expensive component how are you going to get home exactly once you yeah. do get out
0: <laughs> so the the thing with slipping the clutch when even when you're saying light it up when you say light it up you're talking with the clutch engaged so you might be slipping the yes. clutch but if you're going to light it up you dump the clutch and then light it up absolutely at the same time yeah. yes yeah, exactly. That's, that's yeah, the whole thanks for that. clarifying. Because that, that as we were we we're talking about, it's that uh, over revving and slipping the clutch that burns our clutches up. If yes, you keep that's the what revs, heats it. Right. So if you keep the revs down, you can work that clutch, and and it's a great thing. That's the whole. I mean, that's what makes a a wet clutch so fantastic is is how much we can you we can use it slipping the clutch in our off road situations and not burn it out. Yes.
1: I live in a kind of a ski resort area. So a lot of people come an hour north, they're from Toronto, they have all season tires on in the winter, and they get two inches of snow in the ski lot, ski resort parking lot, and they pound the throttle of their cars, which creates wheel spin, which turns the snow into ice, and they're not going anywhere. Mm. If they simply put it in drive and let their foot off the brake, it would probably crawl out of there. So big throttle isn't always the answer. Even our on our adventure bikes, you're going to dig bigger holes in the sand. You're going to dig more uh, deeper in the mud, and that may be the worst thing you can do.
0: Do you find you just mentioned sand there? Do you find riding ruts is kind of similar to riding sand?
1: Yes, because the the front wheel's going to wobble around a little bit, and there's less traction, uh, but the big difference is you don't have to really worry about it going wobbling too far left and right cuz it's going to take you almost like a streetcar track you're stuck in it it's going to take you back wherever you want to go mm. you don't have to really put steering and put into ruts
0: but so sand would be a good, another good practice for that style of riding. Because again, what it is, your balance, you're up on your foot pegs and you're, you're taking your bike through a spot where it's wobbling around on you and you've got to keep it going in, in a line.
1: Yeah, and it's very tough to go in a straight line for any length of time in deep sand. Very, very tough. You have to be on the throttle and heavy peg steering. So when you feel it starting to wander to the left or right, you put weight on the opposite peg. That's definitely more advanced going through deep, deep sand.
0: You mentioned or at the start tips and tricks. Is there anything we you left out? Anything you're hiding from us that, that, you, that you can feed?
1: Yeah. I can't emphasize enough practicing just on flat ground, even believe it or not on pavement. Um, if there's painted lines in parking spaces, uh, Don't do it when the car's in the parking space, but can you ride that white line with your eyes up, standing up, adjusting, peg weighting, uh, holding the power back a bit by slipping the clutch? And that will give you the basics. Then try it off-road because it's going to move around more on grass or gravel or sand. But uh, any kind of training, I think, should be progressive, progressive, we meet people all the time that they bought a, a great big adventure bike. I met a guy last weekend. He drove up to our school, one mirror broken off <laughs> and, and uh, mud compacted all along one side of the bike. He had a swollen knee cause he just had blue jeans on and he, he bought this great big Africa twin DCT brand spanking new and took it out into the trails Never mm. had, never ridden too much. So, you know, you can applaud his adventurism, but dumb as your boot because he really could have got hurt. He was mm. flying down a trail, he said, when all of a sudden the front wheel was gone and he crashed and hurt his knee. So I think uh, doing it in steps and stages, make sure you got the proper gear on, the proper tires and a little practice. And if you can get some education because some coaching and some tips will really shorten the learning curve for people.
0: Now I, I want to ask you about, we talked a little bit about that ridge on the side of the road. Uh, when you, when you're riding an asphalt road and you go off onto the gravel side and there's often that lip, this lip seem to be getting bigger and bigger. They seem to be making taller asphalt, at least in, in the areas that I see. I want to ask you about that. I want to come back to that. So, but first I want to ask you about ruts again, what are the worst ruts do you think to deal with? What are the worst kind of ruts? Ones that give you the most trouble?
1: I, the I think it's the ones that you come around a corner and that's where maybe low-lying water was there for a while. And on corners, people often, as they come out of a corner, they put more throttle on, bike, ATV, truck. So that soft area is more likely going to be chewed up So as you're turning, if you're at any kind of speed, all of a sudden you're in the rut and that can throw you down on the ground pretty easily because the rut's not even straight. Mm. How do you ride that one? So that's very tough. So you've got to really be able to drop your speed down quickly before you
0: drop into any of those. So we really got to always treat ruts, in particular if they're wet, if if they're muddy or anything like that, with a healthy dose of respect here. And, yeah, and lowering time. speed.
1: Yeah, and let your friend go in first and hang back. Don't follow them right in. If they get stuck, what are you going to do? You have to stop for sure. So I would let them get to the other side, listen and watch how much throttle was it? Did they have to roost all the way through it? Hopefully not because they just made it deeper for you. Uh, did they sit down? Um, you can get a lot of tips from watching the rider in front of you. And it just takes a little psychology. Just say, you know, dear, you're a much better rider than me. Uh, Why don't you go first? And most people will fall for it, especially
0: men. (laughs) Okay, so the ridge and side of the road, where the asphalt is, you you ride off the asphalt, it bumps down, you're on gravel. Getting back on there, that can put you down. It really can. Uh, Even in a car,
1: You can't turn abruptly from soft shoulder onto the hard because that can actually flip cars. But on our motorcycles, let's say you're on the pavement and you have a flat tire, you have a bee in your helmet, whatever. You got to get off that highway or paved road quickly, especially rural areas. It's probably not a paved shoulder. It's gravel, sand, all kinds of stuff. So we highly recommend you drop your speed, do your braking and downshifting on the hard stuff on the pavement before you gradually veer off onto the soft shoulder. But most street riders that pull off at high gear speeds, you know, 50 miles an hour or something onto the soft shoulder, unless they used to race dirt track or something, They're probably going to fall down. It's just too fast a change and a lack of traction and a lack of straight steering because it's going to start wobbling like crazy. So really slow down on the pavement before you put it off to the side of the road. And that's going to help you get through or get over that drop off at the edge of the road because it's usually a few inches. And it won't be a problem at all if you're going slowly. Put your four ways on, of course.
0: Now, getting back on there again takes a bit of technique.
1: Yeah, it would be optimal safety if you could hit it perpendicular because the lip of the edge of the road, if it's a few inches higher than the soft shoulder that you're on, um, it's just like a little log or anything you're going over. You want to hit it perpendicular. When you hit it at an oblique angle, which is the the usual way we would merge onto a lane of traffic, the front tire gets up, but the back tire has more trouble on that angle, and it may kick out a little bit. But um, you've really got to look over your shoulder and make sure there's no transport trucks coming or anything before you try the perpendicular approach. Mm-hmm. If you go quite slowly. Most bikes will climb that ridge on an oblique angle, a merge type angle.
0: The lower the angle that you're entering the the road at, the higher the chance you have of going down. And that's what you're saying. So you're saying at at a right angle. But when you're riding along the road and you try and do that slow ride up, in particular, if you're getting any speed, that's where you can end up going down. So your best way is to try and make it perpendicular, like you're saying. So you, you swing yes. back onto the side of the road as far as you can and then try and hit it a little sharper. So like more perpendicular. That's yeah, the key. As long as it? there's no traffic coming. Right. Because you can't pull out, across two lanes of traffic. <laughs>
1: Just because you wanted to hit it perpendicular, <laughs> exactly. you're going to have other problems.
0: But that's the fundamental thing with ruts though, isn't it? I mean, that's what you're dealing yes. with. You're dealing with the the tire catching the side of that rut, staying in the rut, which is what it does at the side of the road and the weight of the, of the motorcycle leaning farther over. And once it goes over too yes. far, that's it.
1: Exactly.
0: There's um, often what people refer to as, as tar snakes. You hear that, that um, term. Yes. It makes me think of ruts as well because it's a similar sensation. Can you talk about that? It is. Uh, tar snakes is a great name for it because it's
1: usually in North America, where especially where we have winters. there With time, there might be a little crack in the pavement and then moisture gets in. Melting snow, ice, rain goes down. And in the winter, below freezing, that freezes and with expansion takes up more area. It makes the cracks longer and wider. Uh, that's also how potholes happen. So these tar snakes, uh, I never saw any in on South African roads when we were there. And it made me think, well, maybe it's frost heaving the roads that creates them. Mm-hmm. So what road crews do, rather than rip up the whole pavement, a stopgap measure to fill these cracks with kind of a rubbery, paved substance and it's very very flexible and some of them get very enthusiastic and it bubbles over the depth of this crack in the road and they're usually very squiggly they're not perfectly straight and when our motorcycle tires hit that it squirms under them it's very similar to what happens in sand or loose loose gravel And just for that millisecond when your tire's on it, it feels like it's going to fall down or roll off to the edge of these tire snakes. But it's just like, and I think that's why off-road is very good for street riders because we're used to handling a lack of traction and a lack of stability in the front wheel. So the trick to carry, if you can avoid them, do it. But some roads are just, it looks like there's more tar snakes than there is pavement. You have to ride over some of them. Loose grip on the bars. Keep the throttle on. And you just kind of inhale and go over it. And don't worry if the front wheel squiggles around a little. It's only going to move an inch or two. It's not moving into the ditch or oncoming traffic. And with practice, a relaxed approach is the best. Rather than freezing or slowing down and gripping the bars tightly, that's not going to help you.
0: And again, it's, it's that same feeling as a rut. It's the same technique, isn't it? It's the same, um, same thing. You're getting used to the balance and getting used to the bike moving around underneath you. Exactly. But it's
1: very disconcerting to new riders. Very scary. Yeah, people.
0: definitely. And and the other thing is, is when those those repairs that they've done, these tar snakes, come out, occasionally you'll see them, they'll actually, because the road moves, et cetera, and the, the car is going over it, they'll come out and be a piece of rubber. And it's much like riding over a hose.
1: Yes. Um, it's like riding over a snake. I mm-hmm. know a rider that hit a Cape Cobra in Namibia, and it was a pretty big snake. And they felt terrible because it ended up breaking the snake's back. Mm. And but uh very, very weird feeling. They thought it was a stick, but that reared up at them. Oh. And yeah, they they managed to get over it, no problem. And cobras are big wide snakes. This thing was about eighteen
0: feet long. Oh, but, wow. Yeah, very scary. So, um, with that sort of thing or, or with a hose, for instance, a hose might be just a a precautionary thing because often, you know, you have a hose in the yard or, or whatever it, it, it again goes back to that same thing as the rut or about re-entering the road. Like we talked about the more uh, oblique angle or the less angle that you're uh, crossing that hose. So if you're parallel to that hose, as you're riding along, there's a good chance you can go down from that as that hose starts to roll underneath your tire. Again, you want to do the same thing, don't you? You want to do that right angle. Yes, exactly. Anything else with this that we that we should talk about?
1: Yeah, I think that does it for um, how we handle, train, and practice ruts. But okay. uh, the tips—you don't need to take a specific training course just to learn how to do ruts. But the secret is work up to it slowly. So start on flat, level ground, hard packed, even. And just get your eyes trained to look where you want to go and see if you can ride beside a white line or down a white line and then progress up to uh, off-road areas that you ride where you know, there's some little ruts, not really deep or hard ones or up and down hills that makes the ruts a lot harder, Uh, just flat ground ruts and work up to it gradually. And that way, with the basics of the skills, when you encounter them, when you're off-road and you're not expecting them, your body will take over. The muscle memory will be able to help get you through them because you'll have the confidence from the practice you've done.
0: Okay, so just for a recap, can we walk through that instruction sitting there looking at a rut again? Just, just walk through that again.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'll pretend you're. we're standing in front of the big mud ruts. So the goal is to get to the other side. And you may want to get through there really fast, but that usually causes crashes. If you encounter something in the rut that you can't see from here, but your tire is going to find it. So slow and cautious, but keep momentum is the secret. And that takes some experience in judging how fast, but no faster than, you know, 8, 10 miles an hour, 15 kilometers an hour when you're first doing ruts. And it's best if they're the training ones we use are flat ground. We don't do ruts on hills up and down until it's the rider has got a lot more experience. And then we remind folks, this is exactly the same as we used with the wood or the rope. The secret is peg steering. So you can't do that sitting down. Not that sitting down is a cardinal sin. That's kind of a last resort to keep going. But if you can, try staying on the toes of your boot standing where you can adjust weight into the pegs. To That affects your steering. If you feel it going towards the rut and your goal was to stay on the left or right side of it or in the middle of, of where there's no rut, adjust your steering with your feet. That's key. Throttle position. We want coal going to the engine But we want to control it with our left hand, not so much our right. With a clutch. Too much throttle or not enough um, can cause you problems. So we have two fingers over the clutch like we've practiced, eyes up, standing, and we're squeezing the bike with our boots and knees. But we have a very loose, floppy elbow, upper body position. So we're allowing the head of the bike, the front wheel to move around a bit. So we're not locked onto the grips. That's the basics of getting through ruts.
0: Okay. Do you want to talk just for a second about um, the emphasis of, of where, I know you mentioned a couple of times about where you're looking.
1: Yeah. Um, and people will know this from, easy practicing on flat ground they're all going to run over their ropes or the white line or whatever they don't want to do just by looking at it the connection between the eyeball and the brain and what your hands and feet do is incredible and it's very hard to control so to look down at an object in front of you first of all you lose that straightforward momentum your eyes down means you're going to swerve towards it so the easiest skill uh coach the easiest coaching we do and most prevalent is eyes up look up look up where you're going uh the last guy i taught uh towards the end of the year he was from the north shore of quebec so he had no english and i speak just a little bit of French, like grade 10 French. I could teach a child how to ride a motorcycle en français. But this guy was staring at the ground during our rut lesson and he could not get through it. So I thought, rather than his friend from Montreal, who was perfectly bilingual, rather than him reteach everything I was saying, I thought to myself, come on, Clint, you know a bit of French. So I was... Saying to this guy, excusez-moi, monsieur, lève les joupes. I thought the word joupes meant eyes. "Lev" is lift. So I was saying, lève, <laughs> Jup, instead of the real word for eyes, je. "Jup" means skirt en <laughs> français. <laughs> so I was yelling at this guy, lift your skirt, lift your skirt. And he, If I thought he was wobbling before, it was a lot worse when he was laughing his head off.
0: He's thinking, I don't know what this guy is talking about. This guy's an idiot. I
1: paid $800 for this guy. But
0: uh, that's that's the
1: most common coaching we give in ruts that helps people is lift your eyes. Stare up at that pylon at the end. Fixate on something on the other side of the ruts. Mm -hmm. And that's absolute key to getting through it. And the rest is just... Uh, getting comfortable with the correct amount of momentum with the throttle and clutch and weighting the pegs with your feet.
0: And in case the rider's wondering how they're going to see where they're going if they're looking so far down, that's why you scoped it out to begin with. You're always looking that far ahead, memorizing in your head so you know what you're going over at the time.
1: Yeah. And um, the best people who develop the eye muscle for focus clarity far and close are race car drivers. So they're doing 300 kilometers an hour, 240 miles an hour in, in an F1 race car or a motorcycle. And they have to look way down the track to see what's going on and then at the car right in front of them. And we can actually develop that muscle for in-traffic safety. So with a rut, as you say, fixate and look At the other end of it, but every now and then you just take a little millisecond glance just in front of the bike, see how the water depth is looking, or if the rut is changing course to the right or to the left, and then get the head back up. Just don't stare at one side because you'll go there.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's one, it's one big uh, difference I noticed between four wheeling and riding a motorcycle is four wheeling. You have so much more time or even with quads, you have so much more time to check out your route as you're going because you can slow right down. But with the bike, everything comes at you much faster because you need to keep much more momentum. Yeah, I mean, you've only yes. got one wheel drive.
1: Yes. And that's why it's nice to watch the person who's going in front of you. Um, I'd even stop before the rut and see how they get through it. That's really important too.
0: Now You always say that joking, but, but you're serious when you say that too. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you can learn so much by what the rider in front of you has done on hills, any kind of off-road that's a little starting to get a little challenging. Um, I watch where the other people go.
0: The trick is to get somebody that's stupid enough, or experienced enough to go ahead of you. <laughs> it's yes. really a,
1: So that's usually me. Um, you know, we, we talk about a a challenge, offer some tips and say, uh, okay, let me show you how, and then off I go. And sometimes that doesn't work out well. Well, That's
0: where you get the great stories from.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I get much business out of it afterwards, (laughs) (laughs) but it does. It, I think, uh, humor does help when you're you're teaching and learning because people are a little nervous. They've heard of their friends crashing in a rut or maybe they're freaked out because they've already dropped the bike in ruts and that could be part of why they came for some additional coaching and humor helps relax people. You know, it's no big deal. You didn't die. You didn't break anything. Bikes are really, really tough if they've got some crash
0: equipment on
1: it. So try again.
0: Clinton, to wrap things up, um, what's the chance of us going down if we're learning how to ride ruts? Oh, it's,
1: I'm just trying to think in level one, very seldom. We progress to where there's a four, five inch high logs on each side. So the rut is the ground between the logs. And I've seen a couple of people crash where they look at the log and the front wheel will ride up on it. And the back wheel steps out and they fall down, Mm. but I've never seen an injury. I have seen stock broken mirrors, which is why we take the stock mirrors off all of our own bikes. And we put uh, something that's, you know, guaranteed not to break like a double take mirror. That's a brand we use because it's, it'll flop left or right. When it hits the ground, it doesn't
0: break. Yeah. That, I, I like those as well. That's the ones I ride with as well. They use the, uh, the clamps from, I'm trying to, Oh, from ram mounts. Yes. That's so, correct. so you can, you don't have to tighten them right up. You can leave them somewhat loose and the mirrors will just flop over. and Hopefully not, uh, not break. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I put them on going up to the Yukon cause I know I'm probably going to tip over at least once. Sure. But it's- the, uh, the image is quite crisp, but the stock mirror mm-hmm. is usually a little crisper, but they're expensive and if they break when you're out in the middle of nowhere, you don't have a mirror. Yeah. So that's why I would always lean towards something that's designed for enduro or adventure bikes that are is unbreakable.
0: So I like what you're saying here because, you know, with practice, people can learn how to do this without, you don't have to go out and get into a rut to start. You practice. No. Um, so, so that's the personal practice exercise, isn't it? Um, if you would just want to do that briefly again.
1: Yes. So flat ground And get something, rope, something straight, uh, and then add a little dog leg to it. We do that so people do have to turn a little to the right or left while in the rut. So you just need two pieces of straight material, maybe eight inches apart. Then work up to six inches apart and try not to touch it with either wheel. And that kind of practice will will arm the person with the skill sets of eyes, clutch throttle, peg weighting that'll prepare them for real ruts. So pretend ruts are the best way to learn. It's not intimidating. You can't get hurt, but you'll gain the same skill sets. The confidence
0: is the big part. That's great stuff. Thanks, Clinton. That was fun to do. I appreciate your help. My pleasure. Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. Clinton operates from the Horseshoe Resort near Barrie, Ontario, doing motorcycle and ATV training in the summertime and snowmobile training in the wintertime. His website is smartadventures.ca. He also has a YouTube channel that is quite popular and we have those links in the show notes for this episode along with uh, some links to some other rider skill segments that sort of go along with this, all available on our website adventureriderradio.com. <music> Bye. that about wraps up another episode of adventure rider radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it special thanks of course to our producer elizabeth martin and to you the listener thank you very much for being a part of this now don't forget we have another show called arr raw it comes out once a month you need to subscribe separately for that and if you like adventure rider radio you can find it anywhere podcasts are found and if you haven't done it already we would love to get a five star review from you on itunes or wherever it is you find your podcasts now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can my name is jim martin thank you very much for being a part of this. I'll talk to you next week. Hey, I'm Billy Bike Truck. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.